0: Good morning and welcome to our service this morning. It's so good to look out and see you. It's so good to be back up here. Two Sundays ago, I was at uh, up in uh, Pigeon Forge at the Sevierville Congregation for Polishing the Pulpit, and then last Sunday, Connor preached. And so, do you know how hard it is to come back from Polishing the Pulpit and not get to preach? You know, I have to, it would probably be two hours this morning at least, you know, I've got this just build up, so... Now, we're going to try to get out on time today. So glad that you're here, so thankful that you've chosen to be with us here at Midway. If you're visiting with us today, we want you to know that we appreciate that. We want to get to know you even better. Did you know that there was a controversy, or it is controversy, over who first proposed our, what, our holiday that we know as Labor Day? Sort of ironic that the two men who are believed to have proposed what we know as Labor Day both had the same last name, do not know that they were related in any way, but they both had the same last name. Some believe that Peter J. McGuire was the one who who actually proposed uh, Labor Day. He was the man who uh, was the secretary of the uh, the Builders Union, one of the Builders Unions in New York City, and he later helped to co-found one of the labor unions that was there, uh, found in the in the, the big city of New York. And, and then the other man's name was Matthew McGuire. He too was a secretary for one of the labor unions and. Later, he became the the secretary of one of the major labor unions in again uh, New York City, Uh, the Central Labor Union. uh, Or rather, Peter had helped to co-found what was known as the American Federation of Labor. Uh, One of the two evidently first proposed Labor Day back in 1882. The first one was celebrated in September on September 5th. Of 1882. That first one just happened to be on a Tuesday. In 1883, they changed it back to September 5th again, but it was on Monday. And then in 1884, they decided that they would have Labor Day on the first Monday in September and that it should be that way. It wasn't until 1893, I think it was, that Labor Day was officially recognized as a legal holiday by uh, the United States Congress, but it was a day that was set aside in our world, or at least in our nation, to celebrate the American worker. It's interesting what this Peter J. Maguire said in regard to Labor Day. He said, really and truly it was to honor those who from rude nature have delved and carved all the grandeur we behold. In other words, as you stood in New York City and you beheld all of the uh, uh, the big skyscrapers that had begun to be built, and all of the things that were there, and he said, "You know, it's the hands of these people who had worked on these things." Remember, Peter J. McGuire was the was the secretary of uh, one of the builders' unions, and so he said, "As you look at all of these things, all of these buildings that are rising up, these people are the ones that we need to honor." And so, ever since that time, we have celebrated what we know. As Labor Day. Now, it's sort of ironic, isn't it? That when we think about Labor Day, we think about taking a day off. Uh, You don't labor on Labor Day, you rest on Labor Day. That's good. And so, probably tomorrow, many or most will be taking a day off for Labor Day, but on Tuesday, perhaps you'll be going back to work. You'll be going back to your job. You'll be going back to the routine of things. And, and you'll be with your coworkers, and you'll be with those who, who are your bosses and all of those kinds of things. And, and so I guess the question is, how does a Christian really and truly act when they go to work? How is it that a Christian should act in work? And so that's what we want to spend some time talking about today. I originally had planned to do this lesson a little bit earlier in the year as we uh, uh, go through things, but uh, uh, other lessons sort of took precedence over that, but, but it just happens to fit well here. So, how is it that we as Christians learn? What, what do we learn from God's Word that will help us to be better workers? I really and truly don't know of a better place to go in the Bible than what we find in the book of Ephesians, chapter six. But Jeff read that to us this morning, and I'm not going to take time to reread all of that. But as you look at that passage, you note know that Paul addresses the words to bond servants. Now he's talked about husbands and wives back in chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. He's talked about children in the first part of chapter six. He's talking about how folks in these different relationships are, are, are to act and react to others and all of these things. But, but now he comes to bond servants. He says, bond servants, here is how you are to act. I guess probably what we need to do is we think about the lesson this morning is to define some terms so that we try to understand some of those things. Bond servants in the days that Paul wrote were uh, quite numerous in the, in the Roman Empire. They, as a matter of fact, probably numbered in the millions. And so when we start thinking about bond servants, we're talking about slaves. And so the Roman Empire, as it had spread, had made its way across uh, Europe and, and all of the territories that it had uh, been able to conquer, they had taken many of the folks. Slaves. They had made not just captives out of them, but they had made the, the workers out of them. They had subjected them, if you will, to Roman authority and, and there's a lot of things that go into that. But bone servants were numerous in the first century when Paul was writing. They would have accounted for the largest portion of the labor force. They would have been the workers. They would have been the, the common folks who were out who were working. And, and so as we think about these folks, you know they would have been uh, uh, the modern uh, equivalent of the modern day employee, and, and so you know these were the these were the folks on whose back the, the 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 nation, I guess you might say, truly had been built. They were the skilled workers. They were the the men who had gone out and by the sweat of their brow, had labored and built and done things that needed to be done. Now, one thing you do need to remember is that just because one was a bondservant in the first century does not mean or really doesn't have anything to do with class. Because as you think about the bondservants of the first century, a bondservant might be someone who was digging a ditch, or it might be a doctor. Or a teacher, or someone of that nature, because as the, again the territory had expanded and people had been subjected to the to the Roman uh, government, you still had these educated folks who now had become bond servants to to different ones, to people, to to Rome itself, and so it didn't really mean that they were all poor. You know, when we think about slaves, especially here in the in the South, we think about things that took place in the. In the 19th century, and and how folks sometimes were treated, kept poor, kept uneducated, and so forth. But, but it didn't necessarily mean that they were just the workers. And so they are equivalent to the modern employee. They are equivalent equivalent to to workers like like you and like me. And then again, not only do we have the employees, but we have the masters, as they are called. And when we think about the masters, they if the bond servant was the equivalent of an employee, then the master would be the equivalent of a modern day employer. The one who was over them, the one who oversaw what, what they did. And so instructions were given to these folks. Instructions were given to the bond servants and to the masters as well. And, and if they're equivalent to what we have today. You know, sort of in the society. When we think about the bond servants back then, they were the workers. And, and uh, uh, even though they were the workers, they didn't have necessarily all the rights that we have, but, but they were like us. If Paul gives these instructions to them, and they're sort of our equivalent, we've learned something from the two. We learn better how we are to relate to, to our co workers and to our bosses and the folks who are there. So that's what we want to spend our time dealing with uh, this morning, thinking about some of these things. How does a Christian act? What's the instructions, God's instructions for the Christian in the workplace? Well, number one, as we think about that this morning, I want you to understand that a Christian worker has to have, maintain a good attitude. It's not optional. It's not something that he can choose to either do or not do. A Christian worker must maintain a good attitude. Look again, if you will, to the book of Ephesians chapter uh, 6, down at verse number 7. I just want you to see some words. I want you to think about what Paul says. He says, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart, he says, and then rendering service with a good will. All of that's talking about the attitude that the bondservant, as Paul calls it here, is to have toward toward his master. And so that's the same kind of attitude that an employee today is to have. He is to respect, if you will, the earthly boss. We'll just put it in that, those terms. He is um, to, to respect them so that they would be willing to, to carry out the obligations, the duties that they are discharged with. But it's not something that, that a person just uh, draws and grits his teeth, or at least it shouldn't be. You see, a, a Christian commits to doing that from the heart with a sincere heart. I am truly as a Christian willing to, to go in, to work hard, to be the kind of worker that, that I should be because I, 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 I have committed myself. I, I, I'm not just doing it because I've got to have a paycheck. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. I'm not just doing it because of that. I have the right kind of heart. And then when I'm doing it, I'm not doing... The work that I'm assigned to do, whether it's manual labor, some really hard thing, or or something that perhaps doesn't take as much strain on the back, I do that with a good will. I render that service with a good will and a good heart. Paul says that is the way that things are to be done. Now, I want you to think about a couple of things with us this morning. Dr. Elton Trueblood, you may have heard his name. He uh, is a pretty prolific writer, and he's passed away now, but he wants put it this way. He said, deliberate mediocrity is a heresy and a sin. Deliberate mediocrity is a heresy and a sin. And yet, when you think about the American worker, as uh, in the book, The Day America Told the Truth, sort of paints it, only one in four workers say they give their best effort. One in four says we give everything that we've got. How does that, how does that match up? You put what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 7, that, that we're to respect the boss, that we're to, to do it with a sincere heart, and we're to render the service with a, out, out of a good will. How does not giving our best... Match up. Only one in four say that they give their... Have you ever been to some business, whether it's a fast food business or a retail merchandise business or some kind of service organization business, and you walked in and you were treated as though you are the problem? Why are you in here disturbing my day. Now yes, the only way I get a paycheck is if I sell you something and my owner makes a profit and so he can pay me. But have you ever been treated like that? Well, that's probably the three out of the four. One of those, at least, who is not giving his or her best. If you're a Christian, that doesn't harmonize, that doesn't fly, that doesn't do what God teaches us to do in His Word. You know, most admit to spending about 20% of their time, again, from the, day, the book, The Day America Told the Truth, most admit to spending about 20% of their time goofing off at work. Goofing off. Almost half of Americans admit to calling in sick when they're not sick. And the sad fact is that Christian, put that in quotation marks because it's in the larger area, the broader uh, uh, definition of Christian, but sad fact is that most studies show that Christian workers are just as guilty of this kind of behavior as everyone else. Do you remember what the wise man said, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10? works pretty well with what Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 6. Whatever your hands finds to do, do it with your might. Many have ever heard of the Shakers. They were a religious organization. They sort of gone by the wayside. You've heard of the Quakers, you know, but the Shakers were were another organization. And they were known quite well for their uh, furniture and the things that they did. And I always talk to craftsmen these things. Here's a quotation. Make every product better than it's ever been done before. Make the parts you cannot see as well as the parts you can see. Use only the best materials, even for the most everyday items. Give, a, give the same attention to the smallest detail as you do the largest. Design every item you make. To last forever. You know, that's pretty good advice. That's giving your best. I feel like today in America we have developed an us against them kind of attitude. And again, I would suggest to you that's the wrong kind of attitude for a Christian worker to have. And I would call your attention to the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 8 through 15. We won't take time to read it for the sake of time this morning, but in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 8 through 15, you read about a man who had a vineyard. The man goes out early in the morning, and he sees some workers, and he needs some workers, and so... He makes a deal with the workers. He said, if you'll come and work in my vineyard today, I will pay you a denarius. He goes out a couple of hours later. There's other folks who have by that time come into the marketplace. He's still needing people to work in his vineyard. And so he says, well, you know, what are you waiting on? He says, come on, let's go to work. Goes back again. More folks have gathered. He asks them, he says, uh, would you come? He goes back real late in the day, only about an hour left at work. He says, what in the world have you been doing standing around all day? Get over here and work. You remember the story quite well, don't you? He calls to his, his uh, superintendents and he says to them, he says, all right, it's time for the pay. The work day is over. And so what I want you to do is pay the ones who came last. And so they began to pay them. And guess what? He gave the ones who'd only worked for an hour, he gave them a denarius. Well, those who'd been there all day long, they see that he gives these who'd only been been there about an hour, they see, man, he gave them a denarius. What are we going to make? And it works its way back to them. And they get their denarius. Well, you know what? They're upset. They don't like it. They argue with him. They say, why in the world are you paying us a denarius when you paid this guy over here? He only worked for an hour. You gave him the same thing that you gave me. You remember what Jesus said? He said, you think I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here, you think I'm being unfair? You think I'm not doing right? Did we not agree together that that's what you would make? You made the deal. I'm holding up my end. Do you think just because I'm being generous to these other folks with my own money? He makes it clear that I've somehow done you wrong. You know, the whole point of the story there is has a spiritual application to God and what He does for us. But just because it has a spiritual application doesn't mean that it doesn't also have a physical or natural application. You see, Jesus points out labor relations here as well. If a person agrees to something, then they need to hold up their end the bargain. We have a whole lot of clamoring in our nation today that says, well, we've got to have such and such of a, of a working wage. And, and, and you've got the fat cats who are, who are making money, and, and we're not making as much as they are, and there's jealousy, and there's all kinds of things going on, and it shouldn't be that way because it's not... Didn't Jesus ask them that question? If you're not content with what you work for, maybe you need to do something else. Work to improve yourself. Make it so that you're invaluable because you've increased your talent and your output. This us-against-them kind of thing that's going on in our nation today is fully against God's Word. Americans are no longer content with the wages which they have agreed to be paid. You know, part of it's because we are comparing ourselves to our co-workers. Isn't that really and truly what these people in Matthew chapter 20 were doing? He paid them first. They looked and they saw what they got. They compared themselves to what they were doing rather than their own agreement. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to keep our word, isn't it? Sometimes it even hurts to keep our word But the attitude of the Christian worker is, I always will. I will always keep my word. What it is that we agreed to. And stop comparing ourselves to others. You know, that really gets us in trouble in a lot of different areas. Don't have time to talk about all of them this morning. But especially when it comes to the... the, uh, Workplace. Somebody says, Well, preacher, don't you know that there are some unfair bosses out there? Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening. If you expect as an employer your laborers to give you an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, then you expect to give an honest day's pay for the honest day's work. Treat them the same. Paul wasn't letting... The master's off the hook. He wasn't giving them permission to mistreat and abuse the bond servants. He, he wasn't saying the bosses were to, to unfairly treat the employees and expect more of them than what they truly were supposed to be doing. You treat them the same. Now, I know another principle that's taught to us in the book of Matthew that's, Pretty well the same thing. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We sometimes call that the golden rule. Paul applies it here in this passage to masters and bondservants, bosses and employees. And So when we look at it, you know there is a lot that is said in regard to the, the attitude that is to be maintained. But then, secondly, this morning, and, and fairly quickly this morning, a Christian worker must be diligent to please his true boss. His true boss. Look again, if you will, there to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, one more time. And, and as you sort of go through that with me, notice the quotes that I have up here on the screen. Paul says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no impartiality or no partiality with him. Did you notice those that I emphasized, those that are on the screen? As to the Lord and not to man, this he will receive back from the Lord knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Who is the true boss? The true boss is God. You see, we have to remember that. It's not that we get up and go to some corporation, or we go to some small business owner, or, or, or whoever it is that we've, we labor. We're not just working for that company or that person. as Christians, we're working for God. We've got to remember that. That'll, re- that'll change our attitude. That'll change the way that we do business in our workplace. It'll really make the difference. Notice a couple of other passages with me. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. All right, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, and he's talking about uh, eating and drinking meat and so uh, uh, so forth, uh, especially in regard to idols and those different kinds of things in, in the context of First Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that pretty well sums up not just what he's talking about there, but every other thing that can be included, including. How we work. Whatever you do, how do you do it? Paul said, do it all to the glory of God. You realize when you get up and you go to work, the way that you act in your workplace, the way that you react to your boss, the way that as a boss you would react to your employees, either brings glory to God or dishonors Him. One or the other. It either brings glory to God, or it dishonors Him. Paul says whenever we get up, we get ready to go to work, we know today I'm not working for the boss, I'm working for God. And it's my goal to bring glory and honor to His name. Folks, if that won't change your attitude about work, about anything in life, I really and truly don't know what will. There's another passage, though, found in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Hmm. You see, that seems to be a theme that runs throughout the New Testament, doesn't it? Whatever we do, whether it's at work or at home or when we're, you know, out at some place to uh, uh, for entertainment or wherever it may be, I need to be remembering who I'm serving. I'm serving God. Hudson Taylor. Uh, a missionary, denominational missionary from the 19th century who went to China and, and sort of pioneered some things there, said this. He said, A little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing to God. A little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing to God. I think he's right. Wouldn't agree with all of his theology, but I think he's right in that And so, remember who you're working for. Well, let's begin to bring it to a close this morning. Again, we won't take time to read uh, in detail what is found here in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. But basically the story is simply this. Paul goes to a certain place. He, he actually left Athens and goes to Corinth. When he gets there, he does something, he, the Bible says he found, the word found in the original seems that he sought out, he found a Jew by the name of Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And, and the Bible says one thing about them is that, it uh, tells us that they had left Rome and come to Corinth, but, but it tells us their occupation. Their occupation was tent makers. And Paul found him, actually he sought him out because he was a tent maker and Paul was a tent maker too. They had the same occupation, the Bible very clearly points out. And so, evidently what Paul is doing when he goes to this place is looking for a job, working with someone. You remember Paul labored with his hands to support himself. Whenever he went to the different places, he didn't just expect someone to give him everything. He, he worked. He was a tent maker, and so he kept making tents. He sought him out. It's interesting also to me that the Bible says that this man was a Jew, along with his wife. It also points out then that, that uh, one of the Roman Caesars had made all the Jews leave Rome. I think there is probably a good argument to be made that this man is likely not a Christian at this point. Now later on we know they are. We see what Aquila and Priscilla do. And so if they're not a Christian here, and later they are Christians, and Paul sought him out, and the Bible makes it very clear that it was because they were, had the same occupation. Did something happen in the workplace? Did Paul in the workplace have an influence on Aquila and Priscilla to bring them to Christ? Now, we're not definitely told in Scripture that that is the case, but I think a pretty good case can be made. Were they Christians before they met Paul? Well, we're not told, but it's altogether possible they were converted by him. And their association was through work. You're preaching a living sermon and your co-workers are your congregation. Don't ever forget that. You're preaching a living sermon and your co-workers are your congregation. The sad truth is that many have been ineffective in their attempts to make an eternal impact on their co-workers, the people that they meet at work. And perhaps it's because they've neglected two very vital elements, that of having the right attitude and that of remembering to honor God. You know, when we're careless in our work, when we we have shoddy methods and do shoddy work and and we have inferior standards and and all of the things that is so often found in many workplaces. If we've really been inconsistent Christians in the way that we talk and we speak and, and all of those things, it's no wonder that we have problems winning those who are around us, those that we work with. If we're the ones who are gossiping and complaining and murmuring and lazy and and even stealing from the company, and our co-workers see that, many of them are already like you. What difference does it make if they show up at church every once in a while? You see, the Christian has a responsibility wherever he goes, and especially when he comes to work. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the principle That Paul points out when he says, remember who your boss is. That you're working for God. You're bringing glory and honor to Him or you're bringing dishonor to Him. Jesus said in John 12 verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I know he was speaking about his crucifixion and being lifted up there, but... We might use that in a figurative sense and ask ourselves the question this morning is Christ being lifted up by me in my workplace? And if that's not the case, then really and truly, I probably need to check my attitude. Need to check to make sure that I understand that I'm working for God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel. can't really say you're working for God if you've never become obedient to Him. Maybe you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. Maybe you're here and you have, but there's something that stands now between you and God. You need to make that right in a public way today. If we can assist you, whatever it may be, to pray with you or for you, won't you come right now,